just going to put another Bible up here. Not that it's going to be particularly long. I need two Bibles, but with being on the first page, it tends to flip shut. You know, it's got one of those kind of um, very flexible covers. Anyway, there we go. Right. Well, we're going to be uh, thinking today, looking into God's Word, uh, and for the next uh, few weeks, up actually until uh, September, uh, into, we have a few other things happening as well, but primarily we'll be looking at the first 11 chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Uh, So if you want to open it, it's pretty easy to find, Genesis chapter 1, it's the very first page uh, of the Bible, in fact. So that's what we're doing. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, um, or you might not, but too bad because I'm going to ask the question, uh, why would we uh, listen to the message uh, message of Genesis? Uh, By which, of course, I don't mean the great rock band, but, you know, the book from the Bible. Why should we listen to Genesis? What could it possibly have to say to us today? Uh, Is it just relevant as a a piece of ancient kind of writing, a bit of curiosity or something that Christians either kind of believe rather kind of rabidly or, or a little bit embarrassed about or, or what exactly? Why should we listen to the message of Genesis? Well, there's actually lots of good reasons. I'm going to give you three. Uh, you could probably think of some more. Uh, the first one is quite an interesting one. It's because Jesus read Genesis or at least Jesus knew Genesis. He uh, actually quotes it directly on one occasion. Look at what he said. He's in the middle of a conversation with some religious guys about divorce and marriage, actually. Jesus said this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, we'll be looking at that passage in a couple of weeks' time, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife And the two will become one flesh. And we we get that in the marriage service as well. Now, two things about this. First of all, this is from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Jesus is quoting from Genesis. He knows it well. Enough to just say, whoop, there it is. Haven't you believed that? Haven't you read that, he says? But secondly, and this is quite important, look what he says there. The creator made the male and female. So not only does he endorse what Genesis says about about God as creator, but it says the creator said for this reason. Now, if you look at Genesis, the words, those words are not God's words at all in Genesis. They are the storyteller, the narrator's words. So Jesus is saying this bit of Genesis is God's word. God said something here and we need to listen to it. And I think if we're going to be followers of Jesus, whatever else is going on around us, we need to take seriously uh, the Bible as he did. And uh, he clearly did on that occasion. But there's another good reason why it might be good to look at Genesis. We, as we look into the book of Genesis, we understand better the, the big story of the Bible. You see, the Bible is a whole kind of unit. It's uh, lots of different authors, lots of different places, lots over lots of time. But essentially, it's one big story. Um, uh, not, not, that, not that it's a fiction like Lord of the Rings, but it's one big kind of account of God's dealing with the human race and so on. So the beginning is very important. It's a bit like the seedbed. You know, I, I've been meaning to do it, but I haven't got around to it, sadly. But, you know, you, if you plant your little seedlings out in a seed tray under your little poly things, and then, and then they grow, and then you plant them out. Well, in many ways, the, 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 the 
the Genesis is like the seedbed of the Bible. You see bits of um, ideas and truths and actions and significant events are planted there. And they're, and they're kind of planted out and they, they start growing through the whole of the Bible. So that's helpful. Uh, beginnings are important. It's true with life, isn't it? We talk about life and we say the first few years of a person's life are very significant in determining the rest or shaping the rest or, or in how the rest is going to kind of work out. Well, that's true with the Bible too. The foundations of a building reveal the outline of the finished project. project. What matters most is seen in the shape and, and it's built upon. And that's how Genesis can be. Uh, more than that, we also meet the God of the big story in, for the first time in Genesis. And first impressions can be quite important. And so as we look into the early chapters of Genesis, it's a bit like God saying, how do you do? This is me. I'm God, as it were. So I think from that reason, it's quite helpful. But here's another reason. Finally, um, you can think of more aspects. But Genesis, in, especially in these early chapters, deals with the really kind of big questions of, of human life and existence. Who am I or who are we? What does it mean to be a human being? And, and, and where does this stuff that makes me human and different come from? Where have we come from? Why are we here? Now, they're easily, you know, people used to mock them uh, back in the 70s and 80s, so call them the American questions, because it was only Americans that were asking those kind of questions. And it's easy to be a bit comical about those questions, because it's not cool to be, you know, admitting that you're asking these big questions, but they are very important questions. And I think often secretly, sometimes in crisis, we do find ourselves asking ourselves those questions. Because these questions and the answers we give, or the answers we have, actually shape the way we live our lives. They're, they're what the philosophers call relating to worldviews, how the world works. And worldviews really matter. And at the moment they matter because they are changing in our culture all around us. The, the established worldview that kind of existed for a number of uh, centuries is kind of being eroded. It's changing. And we need to be able to judge what the next one's going to be and, and know how to engage with it and how to cope with it. We need to know maybe what we think and why we think about what matters most. Our values are important. They come from what we believe about ourselves. And Genesis gives us a pointer there too. So say everyone used to believe the values that, that, that Christians hold, but now they don't. But they don't believe nothing. They're believing something else. And we need to be able to engage with that other thing. And Genesis helps us to kind of get a bit of a starting point for that. So, without further ado, let's read Genesis 1. And as I read it, think about it. What's it feel like to hear it or to read it? What kind of writing do we have here? Listen carefully. What do you get from this? Okay, let's go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, 
Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse, the later NIV calls it a vault, and separated the water under the vault or the expanse from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the, separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. It's almost like, by the way, he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals according to each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man... In our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's as far as we'll go for today. So what does it feel like as you hear it? Anyone dare to shout something out? What kind of, what are we hearing here? What is, God saw it was good, yeah. Uh, just about the, anything about the way it's written, or the way you hear it? It's methodical, yeah. It's repetitive, yeah. It's 
poetical, yeah. Even in our English versions, that comes across. Yeah, we have a, a really fascinating kind of encounter with this piece of amazing kind of writing. What do you get from Genesis? Well, you get a certain kind of language, don't you? It's huge, isn't it? It's immense. It's vast. It, it's amazing. And, and, and did you, somebody said the, the rhythm. Did you notice the rhythm of it? The repetition. And, and, and if you look into it, the, the, when you get things, this kind of language and this kind of repetition, what you're getting, of course, is a, a structure into this. There's a structure through these six, as we've read these six days, but there's much more than that going on. Somebody said, God said, God says, it, it, ten times you get God saying, God said, God said, ten times. Seven times it's to the, the, the rest of the world, three times it's to the human race. The writer of Genesis is big on numbers. He loves the number ten, he loves the number three, and he loves the number seven, according to the scholars that I was reading this week. And so you get God saying ten times uh, that, then, then seven times, and then, and it was so, is said seven times. Actually, we've only got it six times in, in our English, but there's a seventh in the Hebrew. So I'm told, I don't read Hebrew, but I, I checked it out. Seven times we, we read, it was good. We read God created, and we'll talk about this in a minute, three, on three different occasions. It says God created, God created, God created. And that's a big word, as we shall see. So the first time, second time, but the third time, when it's about human beings, it's three times. So you get three occasions, and the third time, it's three times. See, the writer, he's kind of putting stuff in here that's quite important. It's very carefully put together. And, uh, you know, I only had a chance to scratch the surface in what the, the books I was reading, but it goes deeper than that. It's in two halves, as we shall see, these two, two halves, days one to three, days four to six. The first, uh, you know, in the, in the Hebrew original, they are almost equal. There is one word difference. I think one's got 236 Hebrew words and the other one's got 237 Hebrew words as, as the two bits are kind of divided. Let's look at it a little bit more closely and see what we see here. In the beginning, it says God created. That's a special word. It's a word bara. It, it, it's only used of God in the Bible. It's used very sparingly, actually, in the Bible. Its Greek equivalent, interesting enough, is often referred to uh, salvation. But that's another, another story. Quite well, it's the same story, but another part of it. And it's a word that says nothing else is involved it's not somebody adapting something, or it's not something using something, or something, somebody working on something. Uh, it's something out of nothing. God does it. So in the beginning, this, this phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is like the title. This is what this whole thing is going to be about. This is where it starts. God is there before anything else. And what is he doing? He's speaking. What else is happening? He's present. His spirit is hovering over a formless, empty, chaotic, kind of dark, non-world, I suppose, the writer wants to say. And the phrase to hover is like you see an eagle soaring 
or you know, a, 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 one of these kind of um, raptor birds that are, are just kind of above, you know, usually they're waiting to dive. But there's a great phrase in Deuteronomy 32 where and Moses says God is like a, a he, he, he carries, like an eagle carries, when, when young eagle chicks are pushed out of the nest, I believe, the eagles will go down and, and hover. And, and if they're not going to make it, they kind of catch them, uh, you know, and, and help them. That's the picture. That's what we have here. That's what's going on. Notice it says God created the heavens and the earth. Now, heavens doesn't just mean skies or the, the universe. Um, at the time when this, this book was written, uh, and since then, people were aware that of, of, of a physical realm, of stuff and matter, and of a spiritual realm. Lots of people still are very, very terrified of the spiritual realm. Uh, understandably, there's quite a lot of evil kind of lurking out there. But, but what... what um, uh, God is saying, or Genesis is saying, is that God is creator of both, or he's over both. He's, he's responsible. There's nothing kind of above him. He's not kind of one side or the other. He's not like the good God versus the evil devil kind of thing. Not at all. That's the point. Now, this is so different from anything else that was around at the time. If you look into the Babylonian myths, and there are one or two similarities. You know, new atheists and old atheists make a big thing about saying, oh, Genesis is just like the old Babylonian myths. And so, no, it isn't. It's completely different. The differences are, are, are much greater than any kind of similarities. But a crucial difference is nowhere else do we have any creation accounts where, where the creator is seen to have been there before and outside of the material world. Apparently, even the Greeks in their philosophy who, who were able to get to some kind of impersonal God still couldn't help but having all the gods, you know, doing human-type stuff. And people are made, why are they made in, in these ancient myths? They're made to, to serve the gods, to give them what they want, you know, to give them a bit of fun, you know, entertainment or whatever. That's what the human race is for if you compare it with... Uh, compared Genesis with, is with other kind of creation stories. This is powerfully, powerfully different. And then there's this sequence. Six days which end, and a seventh day which goes on. No mention of the end of the seventh day. We will not get that. Andy Atkins will be on that next week, but it's a very interesting thing to note. And the whole account is unashamedly written from a certain perspective. And the perspective is here, this earth, us. You know, it's not looking kind of out from the universe at the dot of the earth. It's not kind of asking about cosmology and where we fit in the universe and how many there are. It's simply saying, from our point of view, <laughs> this is how it is. That's what it's saying. Let's have a quick look then at what, what, what goes on here. We have... Uh, two sets of three days and in the first three days there is kind of forming of certain kind of big spaces if I may put it that way and in the second three days those big spaces are are filled are populated so first of all day one there is light and from that comes day and night is the basic rhythm it enables time, from an earthly point of view, to have any kind of kind of sense whatsoever. And then there's sky. 
or the vault, or the expanse, as say later versions of the NIV call it a vault, which I think is a, a, a better word, it helps. I, I found it easier to get my head around the idea of a writer talking about a vault, which is called sky. And non-sky, whatever the non-sky is, it seems to be quite watery. Uh, and then there's uh, land and seas. And you've got like these three great kind of blank canvases presented. There's the day and night time, there's the sky and the water, or whatever it is, and there's land and seas. And then when we come on to the second set of days, what happens there? Well, these bits are populated, so into the day and night bit go the sun, the moon, and the stars. See what the... uh, And then into the uh, sky and water bit come fish and birds. And into the land and the seas bit, by the way, the land has already got vegetation, but into that come land creatures and finally human beings. And human beings are presented as different. It's fascinating, isn't it? They're the result, not of a, let God said, let there be human beings. That's interesting, isn't it? It's, they're the result of a discussion. And here we have a really interesting picture of God having a discussion with himself. Let us make human beings in our own image. So what's that about? Who can he be talking to? Well, we've already heard about the Spirit of God hovering over the water. There's some kind of community here, isn't there? Now, you can't build a doctrine of the Trinity from this, but it's still interesting. And it does answer a huge question that uh, other religions can't answer, that if you do believe in a God who created all things, what did he do? Who did he love? Who did he relate to before he created anything? Well, if you have God existing in a community, a loving fellowship, one, uh, one, one God, one, one being, then, then but, but three expressions, then it makes sense, isn't it? And it's interesting that God has this discussion with himself and decides that he's going to make a creature like him. And Andy's going to talk much more about this next week. And this creature needs to exist in community. He says, let's make man or human beings in our own image. Oh, we better make them male and female. To be like him, we need to exist with just not ourselves. We need someone to talk to, to relate to. That's what the the writer is saying here. So what are we getting from this then? Oh, and 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 these human beings receive a charge from him. They hear him speak. They receive something to do, a promise, a gift, a purpose. But again, more of that next week. So what are we getting from this? We're getting that there's a God who creates Heavens and earth, the heavens, the unseen world, as I said, and the earth, the seen one. We have a God who, who speaks a word, a powerful word. We see a God who is at work by his spirit, a present spirit. He sees all that there is, and it's good. He gets satisfaction from it. He steps back, it seems, and says, I've seen it. It's great. It's good. It's good. It's good. We see this God existing in in some kind of community where he can speak and discuss and decide things amongst himself, so to speak. He makes a world that is full of life. 
has that wonderful kind of phrase, after its kind, after its kind, after its kind. Uh, There's this whole idea of it. It actually says, let the earth produce these things. This kind of idea that that there is within what he's made, there's this tremendous capacity for life. But he's involved too. And principally, he makes this creature to be in his image, like him, to look after this world that he's made, to relate to him, to do that for him and with him. You know, it's worth just pausing a minute and thinking, this is, you know, it's like God saying, how do you do? I'm God, I'm the creator. That's, that's what, what, what we're getting, isn't it? At least there's more we could get as well. Now, okay, that all sounds great. But is it true? Aha, what about science? You might be thinking. I'm going to have to spend a bit of time on this, but apologize because I'm not a scientist, and if you're really interested, I suggest you come to the big question times. But here's a a few comments that, that might, I hope, help us. Not the last word, let me just say. Here's a picture. What's that? Mona Lisa. It's the most beautiful woman in the world, allegedly. Leonardo da Vinci thought so. Put her face up. There's a picture. It's a face. It's a human face. Let me show you another picture of a human face. Mm. They're both pictures of human faces, aren't they? One is anatomical. One is a picture of a face and how it's all structured. And the other one is the picture of a beautiful face. But you say, oh, they're not photographs. I wonder what it might look like in photographs. Steady. Here goes. <laughs> Some medics may have heard of Gunther von Hagens. He's got, you know, that's him and a picture of uh, a reconstructed human face. Actually, it's a, a plasticized, um, donated <coughs> cadaver that he uses to teach uh, medics. Enough of that anyway. Now, here's the thing. Is it that science is offering the kind of picture we see on the left, whereas Genesis is offering the kind of picture we see on the right? Science offers us this detailed construction about the mechanisms. Genesis doesn't attempt to tell us how God did it. That's open. So it could be that, um, you know, that's one way of seeing it, that, that... the conflict only exists if you think that what science is doing is the same thing that Genesis is doing. But that could be a bit too easy, some of you may be thinking. <laughs> so I'm going, to say, I'm going to try to give a few pointers that, that might help. Now, again, if you're not interested, just turn off for five minutes or have a cup of tea or something like that. But, but, uh, and uh, some of you will be frustrated because you're scientists and you'll think, oh, this is really simplistic. But anyway, I, I, I didn't feel it with a good conscience. I could just plow on in the exposition with it, not, without at least attempting to address these issues. But let me just say it's a beginning. And uh, so caveats over. Where does f- science then fit with Genesis? 
Well, there are three ways of approaching, and again, this is very tentative, and I'm not a scientist, but just as I've read, there are three different ways you can try and approach it. Here's the first way. You can, first of all, try and fit Genesis with science. Although it's not a scientific account, you can grab the areas where it kind of seems to roughly connect with science and, and kind of stand up. So like the order of the days of creation is quite handy because it, it roughly kind of coincides with the area, you know, the sequence in which you might expect life to form and so on. Um, and you try and fit it together and you say, well, there's a lot we know about things and there's a lot that we don't know and we'll just kind of hold it together uh, and, you know, be glad about the things where it agrees but kind of remain open about the things where it doesn't agree. That's one way. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm trying not to, to prejudice you. You can choose which way you go. Um, or you can take a view that mistrusts science and, and just believes the Bible and says, look, you know, science is wrong on these things you know, because the Bible says this, and I don't care what the scientists say. You know, um, they're, they're, I'll, I'll go into this in a bit more detail. Um, and you know, I'm going um, you know, to somehow make what I believe fit with science um, and uh, where it doesn't fit, uh, well, science is wrong, basically. That's, you know, science is wrong. It's all a conspiracy. You know, they hate us. They don't like the Bible. You know, they're making it up and so on and so forth, okay? So you can mistrust science. That's what some Christians do. Uh, maybe some of you do, I mean, you know, in some ways. Who would blame you? But science is a wonderful thing. It's given us some great things, but it's given us the atom bomb and other stuff. So, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, thirdly, you could keep it totally separate. You could say, well, the Bible, as I've kind of just said, is not a scientific book, but it's just stories to help us understand stuff. The Bible is about faith, but science is about the real world. And faith is what goes on when I come and sing songs and I praise God and I worship him. The real world is where I go the rest of the week. And that's actually, I'm quite, it's quite fine that the two things are completely separate. And, you know, I'm a paleontologist, but, you know, and I'll read Genesis, but I'll forget that I'm a paleontologist when I read Genesis because I'll take my you know, paleontologist coat off or whatever you wear and leave it somewhere else when I'm reading the Bible. Get that? That's another possible way. Uh, there may be others, but that's the only three I've, uh, I've discovered so far. And again, come to big question time and uh, the real scientists can help you much more than, than I may be doing now. Now, you see these different approaches working out when we come to the seven days of creation. What about these seven days of the Genesis account? Now, bearing the first three in mind and thinking about the seven days, okay, um, what do we make of that? Now, I've found so far four different ways of kind of understanding what Genesis is doing when it talks about these seven days, okay? And here they are. Number one is, uh, says that the first phrase in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and then the earth was without form and, and void, that, that that's not a title, but that's a chronological thing. So, so the idea is people say, well, obviously, you know, there must have been an earlier creation, which all got destroyed and obliterated, uh, and God kind of started. So what we have is Earth 1.1, you know, if you're into Microsoft products and so on. Uh, you, what we had, because everything was wiped out in this great cataclysmic event, which they, some people would say was all to do with uh, other stuff, but uh, anyway, you can read these things. And so anything that's kind of inconveniently doesn't fit with what we now look at in science must obviously have belonged to the days before it was wiped out. It's quite neat, um, but I, I, I 
don't think it fits from what I've read. I think many scientists would say it's, it's a bit of a cop-out. It doesn't fit the, the facts as we have them that well. Another way is a bit like the, the first one above. You try and make it fit with science. So, so some people would say, well, the days, you know, you, we use the word day in different ways, don't we? When I say, you know, back in the day, you know, I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm talking about a kind of period of time. The Bible does talk about a thousand years for God or as one day or one day is a thousand years. It's perfectly possible that when, when the Genesis writer is talking about days, he's not talking about 24-hour periods. But he's talking about great kind of phases and, you know, epochs. Or, or maybe intensive bursts of activity by God, as it were, and then a big gap of thousands of millions of years between each kind of separate kind of burst. That would be, if you like, another way of looking. And, and that's quite, it's, it's quite attractive. I remember when I was at school, I thought that was a really good thing. And it seemed quite helpful. And you discover all kinds of things. It looks like the Bible agrees with science and everything. Um, the big, there's a big problem with that one, and it's in day four. <laughs> Scientists will note uh, that uh, if it's a sequence, how come the sun and the moon don't arrive till halfway through day four? So anyway, this can be resolved by other things. Some people say, well, it means revealed, and yeah, it kind of works if you're on the earth. And, and you know, again, science tells us that maybe there was lots of atmosphere and you wouldn't see a day and a, a sun and a moon and stars until halfway through the process, whatever that is. So it's okay. Um, there's a third way, which is a kind of literal reading of the text. And that's the person who said, well, I believe the Bible. And anyone who says different to what the Bible says, the Bible says God created the world in seven days, in 4,000 and whatever it was BC. Anyone who doesn't believe that, doesn't believe the Bible, can't be a Christian, doesn't you know, take their faith seriously. That would be, I'm, I'm uh, slightly caricaturing it. You either don't believe God or you're part of the conspiracy to cover it all up. So, so yeah, sure, there are fossils, but they must have been cr already created and put in there as fossils on that day, that kind of. And you can kind of try and argue your way out of it. That, um, forgive me, I'm caricaturing it, but that's basically the creationist, as it's sometimes called, very big in the States. The creationist position is, is a bit like that. But again, some uh, people would say you have to ignore a very lot of clear evidence to go with that view. Although, again, if it, well, I'm not knocking it. I'm just telling you what's on offer. Uh, my old, one of my, my church leaders when I was growing up as a boy once said, this is probably when I was thinking these things, he said, well, he said, if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't believe that. Actually, I'm very glad the Bible doesn't say Jonah swallowed the whale because he didn't. He couldn't have done. But it's this kind of mindset that says, whatever the Bible says, you know, in its face value, in the literally, literal way, then there's no other alternative. And finally, uh, another way, although there may be others, is to say, well, look, it's, we have in the seven account of six days of creation, in the, in, the, in the literature, the piece of writing we've just read, with the way it's structured... That it's structured together with a purpose, and that these six days, seven days, is not necessarily about a chronological, chronological sequence events as far as science is concerned, but it's, or at least that's not the main thing. The main thing is in an account pointing to God behind it, active in his world, placing us in this world by a method unknown at the time. 
Uh, there is a slight variant on that idea, which is that, that the days, uh, if you think the writers perhaps had a series of seven visions, and they came on a different day. So on the first day, he, he kind of sees this, and, and then on another day. So the day for, it's the day when he received the kind of understanding rather than a, a description of, of the event. So that's, that's it. Personally, uh, I, I don't want to knock the others. I, I, lots of Christians seriously take all, all of these positions. I personally would follow the fourth one, a kind of literary approach, but that may be because I studied literature and I'm an arty person, whereas, uh, as I say, you need to listen to some scientists as well. And the big question time is a good way to do that. I like the literary approach because it takes the text as we find it. And it doesn't get us out of all the issues. It's when, uh, to say it's a piece of literature is not to say this is a myth. It's a nice story. It's, it's more, much more than that. It is to, it's meant to be an understanding of history. This text still points to a God who deliberately created the world as it is. And it also suggests, as we shall see in two weeks' time, that what we know of humanity, the creatures who are like us, the creatures who do what we do, the creatures who are made in God's image, come from an original couple who knew God and turned away from him. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks' time. So to take the literary view is not to say it's all myths and fables. It's just to say that, that this is what the writer is trying to do. You see, the Bible is not like the Quran claims to be. The Quran claims to be uh, messages dictated to Muhammad by an angel. Just the angel says then, gives him the message, he writes it down. A bit like Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and so on. The Bible is not like that. The Bible comes in, in forms. It comes in genres. Different ways of you know, writing and, and, and understanding. It's limited in some ways by the people who, who bring it. It's still God's word. But it comes in ways that made sense to the people who, who, who brought us this. And unlike Muhammad, I don't think some of them would have necessarily thought, I am writing scripture down. But somehow God was working through them and, 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 and the whole thing is part of this ongoing story. And so when we get into a book like Genesis, we're, we're into a very ancient way of writing. Uh, uh, images and pictures and, uh, and, and uh, all kinds of things are part of the way this kind of literature is written. And, and God's word is in that. It, it's, it's, it's human, but it's also divine. Well, let's leave it there. I don't want to leave it with science. I want to come back now to the text finally and say, well, okay, where does Genesis 1 leave us? (laughs) Well, I hope it leaves us thinking. I hope you're thinking about this and you'll take it away and think it over and it might affect the question you write in your box. Uh, I don't know. Feel free to do that. But what else does it leave us with? I think Genesis 1 leaves us with significance for me, for you. You see, it, says, it tells us that we're here in a world and a universe that is amazing. They're just discovering these, aren't they? It's fine-tuned for life. The universe is fine-tuned. It's almost like a one, some, I think, non-Christian a cosmologist recently said, it's almost like the universe knew we were coming. If you look at the, the cosmology, 
And, you know, I've got, I don't know about you, I've just got goosebumps just saying that. Because it's not the universe that knew that we were coming. It was God that knew we were coming. And made this amazing universe. He's our creator. And we're in this world of heavens and earth. Unseen and seen. Physical and metaphysical. uh, Physical and spiritual. That God thinks is very good. That's significant. We have a place in God's creation. Now, just a little bit bit about the seven days. Uh, Whatever you believe about those various uh, versions of uh, how we take the seven days, the the fact that, uh, you know, it takes your breath away that the writer describes the creation of the universe in in seven days like this, isn't it? Whoa. (laughs) It's amazing. And and in the Bible, this is just page one, okay? There's like a few thousand pages to follow, and the book of Revelation kind of finishes it all off. The connections between Revelation and Genesis are interesting, but that's another thing to think about. But the point is that, you know, I don't know about you, but these days it's easy to be overwhelmed with the scale of the universe, isn't it? You know, and, and the time involved in how long it's taken, however million years, if you take the scientific kind of, evidence and to think oh i'm nothing but a blip (laughs) a blip's too strong a word for it you know on the life support system of time kind of thing that's me gone that's us that's the human race gone how refreshing it is that from the bible's point of view this this kind of all these millions of years if that's the case this amazing kind of power this scale is just the beginning it's not the main thing at all. There's meaning. There's significance. You, you know, it's like you look at the sun and you say, wow, look at the scale of it. Look at the time of it. And you care about us, God? It's actually what the psalmist says in Psalm 8, if you want to check it. Another thing. So you're not a blip. I'm not a blip. The human race is not some kind of virus, as uh, the guy in the Matrix accuses it of being. There's purpose. We're made for a significant relationship with the world around us. The world is good. We're to look after it, and we can do that. How we work, how we live, how we cook, how we enjoy life, how we care for our our families, how we uh, embrace our, our, our friends, how we just are as human beings in this amazing world. We're made to enjoy it we're made with a responsibility to look after it so ecology economics climate change all of that comes out of this we have we have a a role to play as the human race we're made for significant relationships with others we're made in god's image we're made to relate to him we're made to relate to other people that's what genesis tells us he says we can be like him. Again, I don't want to stray into to Andy's passage, but we're made in his image, his likeness. We're, we're like his little versions, in a, if I may say that, of, of God in a, in a limited sense. His intelligence is seen in the universe, and that intelligent universe or intelligence building responds to our intelligence. You never thought about science and stuff, but you know, the intelligent scientist uh, uses his intelligence to engage with, with, with the work, you know, the universe, which seems to have a, 
a kind of order and a sequence and a logic and a, all, all the stuff we read of in Genesis 1. It's out there in the universe. It's almost like you know, the human mind intelligence is like the little key, you know, your Yale lock, which, which fits into the, you know, this world that seems to be, you know, it seems to connect and we're able to, to get into it and explore it and, and discover stuff and all of that. We can be like him in that regard. We follow in his footsteps and we're not at the mercy of any kind of chaos. It might seem like it sometimes, but Genesis says, no, chaos is not the answer. God is forming things. He's changing. And then what about we hear his word, God's creative word, his life-giving spirit. We hear his voice through scripture. We meet his word in Jesus. We can know his power in our lives by the Holy Spirit as we know a new creation in our lives through spirit, the Holy Spirit and God's word. The process continues, not just in the biological other world. It's kind of spiritually so too. And finally, let me take you to a place, a time when once again the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and the voice of God was heard. Do you know what that time was? Anyone know what I'm talking about? The voice of God didn't say, this is good. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm really pleased in him. Jesus is his baptism. The spirit is kind of hovering in the form of a dove. God speaks, this is my beloved son. Jesus is pleased. And because of Jesus, this new creation has started as well. I can know the God who made me. I can live in relationship to him. A Christian is a new creation to work with God in all that he gives me and you, us, to do. Let's leave it there. I'm going to just pray as the musicians come up. If you want to pursue this or want to pray about anything, then the prayer team will be here. Uh, keep coming. There's more to be said. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that we can find significance. That, that, Lord, we wonder at time scales and the size of the universe. We wonder about the, the world we live in. But this word from you tells us that, Lord, we are made we are made we've been created lord that you're actively involved you invite us to to share with you in what you're doing lord we pray that we may live with joy as created beings in this week lord where we struggle over how to understand and uh, and work this all out we pray for your help we pray for grace with each other as we may take different views on these things but lord we pray that we may within this new creation, knowing Jesus, knowing the difference he makes in our lives, knowing restored relationship, may we, out of that, be human beings who, who love you as we love your world, as we care for your world, as we treat it responsibly, as we get involved in science and arts and all the other stuff that we do in this week ahead for your glory. We want to be creatures who live for your glory as well as those uh, sons and daughters of yours who've been brought into an even closer relationship 
as you recreate us in Christ Jesus. Lord, make it so we pray in our lives. May they be good in your eyes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.